Brian Bosworth is stone cold. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Guys, uh, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Mahalo. There you go. Nice. And from music video sins, Barrett Share. Namaste. And oh. yeah, there we go. <laughs> and we have a special guest in our uh, studio today. The guy who does the music that starts these podcasts off. It's Larange, also hey. known as Austin hey. to his friends. Hey, how are you? <laughs> welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, this is our man. first in-studio guest. Yes. And uh, he's actually kind enough to join us the entire podcast. We're going to talk a little bit later about uh, the, the theme song and how we met and his music and his career and whatnot. But uh, he's going to join us for our discussion of 1996. Yeah. Yeah. Crack-wise. So definitely feel free to interject and uh, interrupt one of us who tend to go on too long. <laughs> Well, and we interrupt each other all the time, so no one's going to look at you twice. Yeah. So, anyway. um, Just chime in when we start talking about Space Jam. Yes. Yeah. Which Uh, may have not have come up, if if not for (laughs) Laurent. (laughs) No, it definitely would have. James and the Giant Peach, then. There you go. But today, we're going to continue the uh, series of Best of the Years We've Been Alive, and today is 1996. Everybody be cool. You be cool. You're darn tootin'. I love black people! I love black people! There's a formula to it! Everybody's a suspect! I just think people in town ought to know the full story on Buddy Deeds. Your vest. Well, maybe I shouldn't have come at all. Jerk off! What yeah. a shitty year. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I was so disappointed doing research for this show <laughs> at how many... There's very little at the top. Mm-hmm. Very little. Mm-hmm. In fact... If you don't like Fargo, you have a really hard time making up your vote for this one. Yeah. Um, because there's not a lot of clear winners at the top. Then there's a shit ton of like B minus movies that came out this year. Mm-hmm. And then we're bottom loaded. I actually wrote in my notes that this year is Bomb City. Like there are, <laughs> I, I made a whole list of all the bombs that came out uh, that were expected to do better than they did. Uh, I was disappointed. What do you yeah. guys think? Well, uh, let's get your d- disappointment of English patient out of the way. Yeah. Talk about the best picture of 1996. Jesus. Uh, the Oscars, by the way, this was the year of the indie, basically. Mm-hmm. Like English patient. It started off as a big studio movie, ended up being a uh, independent movie, um, and Fargo was independent, and Shine, and all these these movies. The only big one that got nominated was Jerry Maguire. But uh, English Patient, uh, am I the only one in the room that thinks this is a great movie? Yes, probably. I, <laughs> I don't. I'm on record <laughs> hating it. It's one of the few and most polarizing disagreements you and I have had on movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so so much so that I said, if you don't like Fargo, there's nothing else to suggest to vote for. <laughs> Whereas, obviously, the Best Picture winner would be a defendable choice for Best Movie mm-hmm. of this year. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. It depressed me. The girl I took to, it didn't ever go out with me again. Uh, I have a whole <laughs> list of reasons yeah. to dislike You're blaming this movie. the movie for that? I, I am. <laughs> 
Jeremy has often said this is just a big long movie about adultery <laughs> and I say what a movie about adultery <laughs> because it's just one of those it's uh it's just well made it's a well made movie now I could do without all the Naveen Andrews Juliet Binoche stuff that's yeah. in this uh, because I don't feel like that has anything to do really with the movie, but uh, eh, you know, whatever. I like all the other stuff. Who made it. this? Was it Mingella? This was Mingella. And he would go on to do... The Talented Mr. Ripley. Which I love. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. So this is a blip in terms of my my view of his work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we don't have to talk about it long. I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I do remember watching this movie with my brother and the plane crash scene in this, which is what they showed as a showcase for the editing that's in this Walter Murch legendary editor was on this. I just remember the plane crash scene and everything. And my brother turning to me going, this movie's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I agreed. And, um, and so, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And, but anyway, you guys didn't, it's not going to be my best picture by the way. So you don't have to worry about that to me. Always synonymous with Seinfeld. That's yeah. that's what I remember this movie most from is is Elaine's visceral reaction that sounds like Jeremy had a similar one and I had a similar one of just absolutely hating this movie. That's not fair though because do you have the same reaction to Schindler's List? <laughs> no, I don't have the same reaction. <laughs> so Schindler's List. It, it's it's one of those things where do you agree or not? And well, but nobody's saying the quality of Schindler's List in the show in Seinfeld, though. They, they were just, still make out during Schindler's List. Well, though. yeah, they were. They were. They weren't paying it. It's they were due. pent up. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I just like that she gets forced to see it over and over. Like she's already hated it, but right. she she lies and says she hasn't seen it, and her boss is like, "You have to see it." He makes her go again, <laughs> and well, she gets fired. <laughs> I think. I think. You, I think that's the thing with movies, though. You hate it when people just keep telling you how awesome something is over and over again and you may not agree but then you are forced into a corner where if you disagree (laughs) then you're sort of like cornered or whatever and it's it's not fair to you that that they just insist upon a movie that you know you may not like what do you think about this movie yeah I, I do not have any opinion on subscribing to the Seinfeld mentality of movies through, throughout the 90s. Um, I also have never seen this movie, oh. so I, I don't imagine that I would have a, a ton to contribute here other than just enjoying your guys' polarizing do you like, reactions. Do you like adultery? Well, I mean, as much as the next guy. I'm on record. I'm on record as liking adultery. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on record for that. In movies or? Just in general. I, I just left it open to interpretation. As a concept? I mean. I'm down with it in general, but in know. movies, I can't uh, stand she it. She was I've married to somebody awful. It was okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. She was married to an awful person. Uh-huh. Just an awful person. You want to talk a movie that that's all about adultery and not from 1996. Did you? ever see that mark ruffalo peter krauss movie where uh they're both sleeping with each other they're best friends and they end up sleeping with each other's wives and everybody's life is ruined by the end of it it's like only like three or four years old it's got one of those names like where we are now or this is this is who we are or something like that anyway that movie's worse than the english patient in terms of adultery depression (laughs) that sounds like the reality of almost every romantic comedy right i mean you know most romantic comedies revolve around this sort of unrequited adultery and then but but we're framed in such a pleasant way you know where everyone's happy by the end it's called we don't live here anymore there you go thank you to the people who have computers at their fingertips we don't live here anymore 
also, uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the biggest movie of 1996, and that is Independence Day. Yeah. Mm. Um, or as it was known during the marketing campaign, ID4. ID4. <laughs> what uh, was you guys' reaction when you first saw this? You were 21 mm. and 20. I loved it. I was 19. 19? Yep. I freaked the hell out at this movie. I was 17. I loved this oh, movie. Yeah, I, I loved the too. experience. I, lo- I went to see it on opening day. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I No, I really enjoyed this movie and still uh, sort of enjoy this movie, although you look back on it now, it's aged quite yeah. a bit, yeah. um, but um, it's uh, it's just, I don't know. I've always had fun with that movie, and I feel like that was... I don't know. That was just a big blockbuster done right. Yeah. Now it. This is the year where I feel like these type of movies start coming more and more in favor, and that's what what we get into the two thousands, where it's just like nothing but all this loud mm. bullshit. Nineteen ninety six, we hadn't seen the monument stuff before. The wall, the White House thing was a money shot. Oh yeah. Now you do something like that, it's like. Eh, what? Yeah, we've seen this. <laughs> the mil- White House? Yeah, we've well, seen this a million the times. The sequel to Independence Day has characters cracking jokes about how much the aliens love blowing up their monuments. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right? So that's where we've been 20 years. That's what's happened. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Independence Day was a phenomenon, and I, and I really enjoyed it. It just has aged, it just has aged over time, and that's, that's fine. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's kind of a... Any yeah, any effects driven film is is going to do that, especially in that era. But it announced the hell out of Will Smith. Yeah, though. it did. Well, uh, I don't know if we're done talking about that movie, but I was going to mention Twister is very similar in terms of like the experience I had. Mm-hmm. Big effects driven. I came out of that thing cheering. Yeah. Like I loved Twister when I yeah. first saw it, and and it also has not aged super well, um, and maybe benefits from a better cast than Independence Day. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, both of those movies uh, were huge. Yeah. They have two Bills that I don't enjoy their acting. Two Bills. Uh, yeah. Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman. Yeah. I always felt, and they've done great stuff since then, but I always felt like the two of them had a very superficial acting thing, especially in those two movies, and it just always bothered me. But... He's in it for the money, not the science. <laughs> Joe! <laughs> you're never going to find it, Joe! <laughs> Um, Twister is what I sort of credit as the beginning of the, the May phenomenon. Yeah. Um, Twister was one that actually sort of told you, Hey, you can kind of release a movie early yeah. before Memorial day and it will do well. It ended up being number two, uh, as far as box office was that year and everything. Twister also had a great trailer. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. this, where yeah. it kept on like, you know, you'd see a little bit of tornado and then it would just like black out. Yeah. And then it would come back on and then black out. Yeah. You know, it was one of the, it was, it was something that really made you want to go see the movie. But then um, famously didn't have that tire shot in the movie, right? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it had, I think quickly it may have had uh, a tire shot. It may have not had that particular yeah, tire yeah, yeah. shot. But uh, but yeah, Twister. Now I I don't know if I ever really liked this movie. Um, I, I I can see why you would like it. I just never was a big fan of it, even back then. It's a fun experience. It's got Philip Seymour Hoffman in there, a good like kind of backup cast. And yeah, yeah. Um, I the think, guy from the Aaron Burr milk commercial. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr. Um, yeah, I was never a big 
twister person, but it was it was fun. I mean, it was just one of those fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else in 1996? Another big summer movie in 1996 was Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah, man, a lot of blockbusters this year. Yeah, um, Tom Cruise had a pretty good year. He did, and um, Mission Impossible is one of my favorite blo- summer blockbuster mm-hmm. movies of all time. Uh, I think really because Brian De Palma does not conform to what all the other blockbuster directors are doing. He's doing a De Palma movie yeah. in Mission Impossible, but it's still just slick enough to be like, oh, you know, summer summer audiences, or this is palatable for summer summer audiences. But man, he the way he uses his camera in this, oh, the that silent scene in the white room, yeah, yeah, it's oh, it's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. And uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a movie I watched over and over and over again when it was out. Yeah, and um, and it's just one of those where it's like, wow, you just don't see this in summer blockbusters. So the way does, this is shot and directed it does have uh one of the silliest lines of dialogue, at least to me, in all of history. When Emilio Estevez is explaining the fold over bomb, and he says, "When you touch the two sides, hasta la lasagna, don't get any on you." Yeah, <laughs> and I hate that line yeah. so much, but. I can overlook it. This movie's great. I freaking love it. Yeah, absolutely fantastic movie. <laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum, uh, Cruz does Jerry Maguire this year. Yep. Which I still think is maybe Cameron Crowe's best movie all around. I agree. Uh, Renee Zellweger comes on the scene in a huge way. She'd done some smaller stuff, but this made her a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of star who does three Bridget Jones movies later in life. Yeah. <laughs> This put Bonnie Hunt on on the map in terms of um, most Americans now knowing who she is. She'd been funny and been working for a long time, but she's so great as the sister in this in this movie. Cuba Gooding Jr. wins the Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one of the most memorable Oscar acceptance speeches ever. Um, I love this movie. I don't know how, how you guys feel about it, but this was the first time I had really seen the full thing from Cameron Crowe. I guess Almost Famous that comes later is probably a little better. Yeah, but, I was about to say, Almost Famous is probably my favorite of Cameron Crowe's and probably better than Jerry Maguire, but uh, I do like Jerry Maguire quite a bit, actually. This yeah. is this is a good movie. and it, It's touching. Yeah. It's, it's actually, you believe, because he goes from such high highs to such low lows, and that relationship you're really on board with, and I've said it before, but this movie makes me cry at the end yeah. uh, every time. Yeah. Almost every time I watch it, I get teared up. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it's cheesy, just, but it's, he's so vulnerable, right? Like, Cruz did Born on the Fourth of July, and that was like the first time I'd ever been like, whoa, the dude is not just a pretty boy. He can act. He's got some. But Jerry Maguire brings out this yeah. sweet side in him yeah. that I don't think we've seen before this. Um, and. It's hilarious. I think this movie is one of the funniest movies, uh, and it's just because life is so funny, right? Mm-hmm. And it comes from the moments like him overhearing her say, I love him for the man he almost is, and then the kid calls out his name. Or the whole, <laughs> you shoplifted the pootie scene. Yeah. <laughs> humor all over the place. Him um, in the car and Tom Petty comes on playing free falling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Jerry Maguire, good movie. Um uh, what is it? There's some sort of uh, troop that goes around showing all these like old um, weird footage of things. VHS clubs. VHS. It's like yeah. one of those. I don't remember what these guys they were collect actually. collect their Jerry's. They collect Jerry Maguire yeah. videotapes. So there's like people who come in to these shows with more Jerry Maguires for them to collect. Weird. And it was yeah. the most pressed uh, VHS of all time. 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, which goes back to why this movie is so successful. It's it's endearing and accessible. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. There's somebody like, for everyone to relate to in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that is unique. Yeah. All right. I think we probably talked about Jerry Maguire enough. Yes, we have. Should we talk about Fargo? Yes. Yeah. Um, I love Fargo. Yeah. Uh, William H. Macy, for me, steals the movie. Um, I know the pregnant cop. Frances McDormand, yeah, Frances McDormand. Uh, she got a lot of the praise and, and won the Oscar Buscemi got a lot of praise but William H. Macy is the one that really sells this movie for mm-hmm. me much the same way Martin Freeman's character in the first season of the TV show Fargo is really the grounding centerpiece everything's blowing up around this guy and he can't he can't fix it uh but all that to say I think the Fargo TV show is better than the movie Mm. Oh, boy, I don't know if I've ever thought about it before. Uh, my, my my instant knee-jerk reaction is, fuck off! Yeah, I figured that would be the case. <laughs> um, But I haven't thought about it clearly yet. Well, so. and they're two different animals. It's not fair <laughs> to compare. Because <laughs> yeah. one is trying to tell a story in two hours, and the other one has ten hours. It's a completely different animal. But yeah. uh, if I were to pick one to watch again right now, it would be the show. This movie is famous for its accent. The, oh, yeah. Yep. The Midwestern. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. And William H. Macy and Francis McDormand and really everybody, especially like the girls in the bar, was like, kind of like, you know, funny looking. Yeah. You know? And like everybody is just really, really popping on this. This is probably in my top two Coen Brothers films. Yeah, mm. it's up there for sure. And this is the one that basically took them mainstream, isn't it? Like. Before this, they were sort of indie guys that if you liked them, you knew mm-hmm. about their movies. But yeah. Fargo went mainstream. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was this was uh, them getting all the Oscar attention yeah. and all that. Before that, they had they had done movies like Barton Fink and uh, Raising, Raising Arizona, Arizona yeah. and stuff like that. But Raising Arizona was one of their first forays into like uh, a well-known movie or whatever. Sure. But then they went back and did Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, movies that had some critical reception, but not any like real. And of course, Hudsucker Proxy, which we talked about right. before, you know, uh, did not score with anybody. But Fargo is fantastic. This is back to them uh, doing what they do best, finding somebody who shouldn't be in the crime world mm-hmm. and trying to uh, plan uh, a heist or a kidnapping and things go wrong. This is like back in their blood mm-hmm. simple days, uh, only with, uh, you know, more production value and everything like that. And man, the Roger Deacon cinematography in mm-hmm. this thing is just fan fucking tastic. It's just it's a beautiful movie. It is. But I love just the plotting of it. I just love, I mean, all the performances. Yeah, they're a little cartoony. Um, yeah, but, but they're, they're, there's a, you can relate to all of them. You can, I mean, yeah. Because William H. Macy is just so, Lundegaard yeah. is just so over his head. <laughs> and Frances McDormand's character is just really on top of things. She's got a supportive family and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's those little things of like you know the the prowler needs a boost yeah you know? yeah, yeah, she comes yeah. Back in. it's yeah. like all right you know she's got this grounding force oh i love him rehearsing what he's gonna say on the <laughs> phone too it's like, oh, oh my god i don't know what to do it's gene it's, it's gene yeah <laughs> it keeps on doing that and like I, I man there's every scene in this has got something that's just you grab onto and i love him um bringing that business venture to his to his father-in-law and everything mm-hmm. and and you know and and him saying we're not a bank jerry you know and all this <laughs> and 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 just he, he you see how defeated this character is and why he's doing what he's doing because he just 
he knows he's he's just he's he's never going to get any of that money that mm. his his wife is owed or anything like that and he's trying to do something for himself and that's the best thing he can come up with is hire a couple of dumbasses to try to <laughs> kidnap his wife but yeah love fargo good good movie yeah fantastic while we're still on big movies we should talk about the rock yeah yeah <laughs> this can. is this is michael bay building off of the momentum he had with bad boys i guess right yeah and a lot of people love this movie, mm-hmm. and I'm not one of them. Really? I'm not. Um, from the word go. Like, this is not one. Of, this is not like Independence Day where I walked out and loved it, and then 20 <laughs> years later I can look back and go, eh, it hasn't aged well. I yeah. didn't like it. Like, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. It, I don't know. It just didn't hit for me. I, I think a lot of it had to do with this gas bomb mm-hmm. weapon chemical bullshit that just seemed too far-fetched for me um and they and they also do the whole like ed harris doesn't really want to be this bad of a person yeah it, thing, it which falls I, apart which i hate so much in that movie but i did enjoy it and it's not because of michael bay this is what i always t- you know my friend jonathan we talk about the rock every once in a while it's never about michael bay in this movie it's nicholas cage and yeah. his like <laughs> his goofiness in this he doesn't ever swear he always tries to find a way not to swear and it. yep. like, it's like hell in the name of zeus's butthole <laughs> you get out of your cell you know all that that type of stuff but uh, but this is the last one of the last winning sean connery performances yep, as yeah. well but that said i can't blame anybody for just hating this movie or not liking it or whatever because it's another one of the it's like i said 96 is a big year for sort of a stepping stone for these gigantic action movies yep. it's the birth of michael bay and roland emmerich really as huge directors and they're both about the same yeah they have different levels of stupidity and they've, you know. So you can blame the next Transformers on 1996. You can. Yes, you can. You can find the DNA <laughs> in 1996. There are some pictures of the set. Basically, it seems like the new Transformers movie is going to have at least some scenes that take place in King Arthur's time. Oh. And then <laughs> Merlin apparently somehow does they'll, something to create the Transformers or something. There'll yeah, be a, sounds, a Merlin right. bot. And even. the title has already been called The Last Night. Mm, um, no. I'm, I'm super worried about this movie. <laughs> I think they may have found a way to make the Transformers movies even oh, worse. Oh my god! Are wow. you serious? It's going to yeah. be a three-parter for the Sins video. Yeah, oh it's not a good thing when the Transformers sequel reminds me of the plot from the third Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a bad sign. It's not oh my a good god! Sign. Um, also, 1996 Scream yeah. came mm-hmm. out. Um. This was a sort of word of mouth phenomenon, it and it's not one that you're likely to see much ever again because movies have such a small window. Yeah. Um, I remember our theater got this movie, and the theater that got all the money usually didn't get this movie. And the first week, it did okay. Yeah. You know, was a yeah, kind of a middling type of thing, but then it be- just started steamrolling. And we started it off in like a small theater and had to move it to a big yeah. theater. Um, but uh, but yeah, Scream is a, is a movie that we had not we not seen really before. It's mm. sort of taking the the horror genre and and making fun of it while also uh, taking part in yeah. all the stuff that's in horror genres. Um, 
but uh, but it has a wallop of an ending that I I don't think I was ex- I don't believe I was expecting, and it sort of continues that thing in the mid '90s where everything seemed to have a surprise ending. Yeah. Um. But uh. But uh. I I really enjoyed this movie. I still can pop it in and just and just enjoy it. Well, and it's most known I think for doing things horror movies hadn't done that much of up to that point. The self referential, the jokes about other horror movies, and the rules. The killing off your biggest star in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but I think what makes this movie work best is how clever it is. Like, mm-hmm. all of that stuff is cool. But, man, that scene where they're in the van watching the delayed feed. Yeah. I'm, oh, my God. Yeah. It's oh, so yeah. clever. It adds so much to that scene. It does. And and I hadn't seen much like that. Uh, you know, it's got its blood and stabby moments. But it's got a lot of clever tension building that I, I think gets ignored. Uh, I love just, I love the scene where... <laughs> Ghostface is behind Jamie Kennedy, mm-hmm. and and Jamie Kennedy is saying, "Watch it out, Jamie. Watch out, Jamie." To yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis on <laughs> Halloween, you know he's behind you, and it's just a whole big parallel there and everything. I've, I just, this is just a just a fun thing they throw in this movie, and I'm wondering. Like, if they even thought about that, I mean, when they were writing the script or anything like that, was it some happy coincidence? Or was it just a scene where it was like, well, we got Jamie Lee Curtis, and you're Jamie Kennedy, (laughs) so why don't we do it? Because it almost feels like they they made that scene for that reason, because it doesn't make sense why he doesn't just go ahead and stab the fuck out of Jamie Kennedy (laughs) while he's there. Instead, he goes out the door, which leads to that big tape delay sequence that you're talking about. And I'm just like... Why didn't he just stab the fuck out of him? Were you just going by the horror rules? He's a virgin. Don't kill him. Probably. Uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, but yeah, uh, love that movie. Anything else, guys? Oh, lots, lots. The Birdcage came out this yeah. year. Yeah. I just watched this again for the first time in a decade, a couple months ago. Still awesome. Yeah. yeah. Still great. Everyone shines. Everyone, everyone shines. Hank Azaria oh, almost yeah. steals this <laughs> movie awesome. completely. Um, <laughs> When he's, it kills me every time when he's singing to himself in his Cuban. Uh, if you've never seen The Birdcage, it's a, a remake of a French film I'll mispronounce. Yeah. Um, about, La Caja Foyers. Uh, and it's a cons- son of a conservative Perfect. senator. Yeah, exactly. Daughter of a conservative senator is about to marry the son of a gay couple that run a gay nightclub in Miami Beach. And uh, the hijinks that ensue when. The gay couple decides to pretend to be straight and fool the senator into thinking they're a normal conservative family, even though they have people humping on their soup bowls. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I love this movie. So I don't know how you guys feel about it. But, oh, uh, I love the birdcage. Good stuff. Uh, Robin Williams in one of his best performances. Yeah. It's a, a little more muted than what he's used to at this well, point. Well, because Nathan Lane has the yeah. the showier role. Yeah. yeah. They could have switched roles pretty easily, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Nathan Lane is so funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as the over the top constantly like the high maintenance wife <laughs> yeah uh and uh i just love this and movie a so a pre ally mcbeal callista flockhart yep, yep. is in this gene hackman of course always terrific and like he has a scene in this where i can't remember everything that he does but it's just a scene at the dinner table where he's like reciting poetry or something yeah, he's like a that weird guy. yeah and, and it's just he's just oh it's just so good well, and he but, falls in love with nathan lane like he falls for her at the table thinking she's a woman like, yeah he starts to fall for her yeah and if you've never seen gene hackman in drag it's worth watching the <laughs> yeah um yeah birdcage is good uh let's see uh this was also the 
continuation of the John Grisham phenomenon with a time to kill. Yeah. Um, I am. I don't know what to think of this movie. Really? Yeah. Um, th- Matthew this- McConaughey is really sweaty. Yeah, everybody's really sweaty in yeah, this movie. This was a, a big uh, break for Matthew McConaughey because after he did Days and Confused, he I think he was in like a couple minor things, and he it was between him and Woody Harrelson. Wow, to be the lawyer in this. Um, I like this movie. Okay, I think it's just too over the top as far as its rednecky uh, mm. stuff in it. Like, yeah, there are people like that, but how much how much awfulness do we have to sit through here well, like let's tie sandra bullock up to a, a tree yeah. and 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 have Kiefer sutherland like whisper in her ear like you know the animals are gonna come get you and all that you know um this is a movie by the way that tells you by the end it's okay to murder someone if they did something <laughs> bad yeah. yeah right because kind of samuel the- jackson walks yeah after his double murder right that he did he did it. He yeah. doesn't. The, the defense is not even saying he didn't pull the trigger. Yeah. He just makes everyone feel guilty they, about racism. But they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. Yeah. That was <laughs> that was in the trailer. That was the thing that was like, okay, I'm watching this. Yeah. You know? Well, and Kevin Spacey yeah. was a big draw. You think they too. deserve to die, Mr. Haley? Answer the question. <laughs> yeah. That was a huge cast in this. It just was. a tremendously huge cast. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's got those couple of good scenes in it. I mean, there's like, uh, I, I like the dynamic that McConaughey and Bullock have yep. in there. McConaughey is married to Ashley Judd. That's her coming up again. But, um, <laughs> but Sandra Bullock is like his legal assistant or whatever. And they're like slowly doing that after hours, yeah. nearly falling in love type of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Like it's, it's sort of a, an interpretation of what the justice system is that these guys, Samuel Jackson believes that the guys who killed his daughter will get off because they're white Mm -hmm. and his daughter's black and he takes, you know, the law into his own hands. And so it's sort of trying to appeal to people by saying, yeah, he, he, yeah, he murdered them, but, (laughs) but look at what he would have had to deal with if they didn't. I love how Kevin Spacey though. I love Kevin Spacey in this. You can tell, you can tell that in his questioning, like, why did you do this? I would have prosecuted these guys. I would have gotten them in jail. What the fuck are you thinking? That's the type of thing that you feel in that in that interrogation scene yeah. and everything. But yeah, a weird movie. I don't know what to think about that movie overall. Good scenes. I don't know if the whole is a good thing. Though. Yeah, I, I liked it better than Pelican Brief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, most definitely. Uh, this is also Joel Schumacher. Yeah, as well. yeah. And it's, it's it's one of his better movies. Yeah, probably so. So one of my favorite movies uh, from this year that I think Jeremy hates is from Dust Till Dawn. Ooh. Yeah, not a fan. And Ooh. this was uh, really what catapulted George Clooney's movie career. It, before he got to Out of Sight, it really put him into on the map as like. I can, you know, be like that cool action star. Now, it wasn't like hugely received. It wasn't a huge box. I will draw, say it's him in a Tarantino slash Robert Rodriguez. I, I agree with where you're going there. It took a while for Clooney to sell to um, to movie audiences. And none of these movies we just talked about out of sight or anything propelled him to as a star. Yeah, yet. not superstar. Because those are all like did not do anything at the box office until the perfect out. storm. Yeah, it was a perfect storm and then and then like oceans and all mm. that that really got him into that thing. And then he started doing all these like, you know, big important or, you know, movies with Soderbergh and all this yeah. other type of stuff that got him into that mm. thing. However, yes, this was different from his ER role yeah. 
and it sort of he sort of told you, hey, you know, this guy might uh, do a little bit better than David Caruso did. It was yeah. NYPD Blue. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw Kiss of Death like two days oh, ago. Yeah. It was on Showtime or something. <laughs> Boy, what a what a misfire! <laughs> yeah, do your impersonation of David Caruso's career. Yeah. <laughs> I regret everything. <laughs> um. But yeah, From Dust Till Dawn is one of those movies. It, it's you know it was written by Tarantino, directed by R- Robert Rodriguez, who had just come off of Desperado mm-hmm. and El Mariachi and all that. Um, and it has two distinct parts. Yeah, very. And if distinct. you're not and if you're not prepared for the two distinct parts, then it's going to be a weird thing because it starts off as this kind of fun crime caper mm-hmm. type of thing that tarantino normally writes and then like it turns into a vampire movie yeah it does and uh and uh and it's got all the like all-time b-list actors in this thing too like <laughs> oh yeah fred williamson <laughs> yeah. and tom savini cheech marin cheech marin and all these like cheech marin plays like three characters yeah, in this movie. um i think this was just balls out fun yeah i thought I it was just, fun I, I i really enjoyed it um it all but it all will also be the uh, all-time uh, projectionist oh yeah that's right for yeah. me as well but uh, that's in another podcast if you want to hear that yes it is um we don't I know ask, which one i want to so, ask no, you guys about this so this was a big year for Baz Luhrmann for oh. Romeo plus Juliet yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Romeo and it is Romeo plus Juliet by the way it's not Romeo and Juliet that always drove me crazy I hate this movie oh, wow. with all of my being well, I think it's so over stylized I know all of his stuff is I think might- the whole thing is over stylized they just make a they just piss all over Shakespeare in this thing. This might be the first time we've disagreed on a lot of movies. Really? Because I kinda liked Romeo. I and did Juliet. too. Uh, um, at the end, man, when he's screaming, Leo is acting. When he's yeah. like screaming, either thou or I must go. Yeah. Like he's so in it. I am fortune's fool. And of course, I'm you know, I've admitted to my Claire Danes crush that went on for many years. Yes. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. And she's very magnetic. Uh, mm-hmm. Very much the Angela character from my so-called life in this movie mm-hmm. in terms of making all the viewers kind of fall for her. Um, I don't think it's great yeah, by any means, but I really enjoyed it. I will say, though, that sometimes, yes, when they start doing the modern, this is what Baz Luhrmann does in a lot of his movies, is he incorporates those modern songs into some olden times yep. thing. And his argument is, you know, well, it's hard to imagine that people back in the day, young people back in the day, uh, would listen to the songs of their day, uh, much like we would listen to our songs of 1990s mm. or whatever. Like so, that's why he would infuse those songs into those movies. But when it's like the Cardigans, Love Fool, yep. and all that other that, which uh, by the way, <laughs> Hot Fuzz made tremendous fun <laughs> of, <laughs> and it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um it starts getting you're like, uh, okay all right whatever but it's visually amazing um and, it is a good soundtrack yeah and uh and i think the the two leads are awesome in it and although although sort of even like you know like john leguizamo i thought is 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 good in it too i mean even though you know it's one of the he's usually annoying in a lot of his movies every scene in that movie is dialed up to 11 and there's there's just like can you not just take a break when they're when they're shouting, when they're arguing, when they're talking? Like everything is just up here, and except for that like magical fish tank scene, and that was called all to hell too. So I don't know. I just didn't like it. You're all right, but that's okay. Yeah, you, you have bad opinions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to talk about that thing you do. Yes, Tom Hanks' directorial debut. Uh, I 
loved this movie like it was a person. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was in bands in college and around that time. And so it probably connected with me a little more because they're in a band and they make it big. Uh, it's definitely a candy movie. There's not a lot of deep stuff to take away from. Uh, but I watched it maybe. My, my buddy and I were in a band together for about, well, different bands for about 10 years. And we also were roommates. And we probably watched this thing 50 times uh, over and over and over and over. And I can't find a flaw. I can't find a flaw with it's it It's great. All. It's great. And that title song is awesome. Well, and uh, it was written by the guys from Fountains of Wayne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which makes sense that it would be awesome. Uh, there's a lot of moments in this movie I like. If you've never seen that thing you do, um, watch it. It's a big thumbs up from me. Tom Hanks is really funny. Uh, everyone's charming. Steve Zahn is really funny. But the best moment for me is when they're playing the state fair and they have that break in the song. Um, and Tom Hanks is on the side and he does that arm pump right <laughs> when they do the break. Um and it just shows how much he's into their music, even yeah. though he's all business in this movie. Um, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And yeah. wish I could do a whole podcast. I on. also love that thing you do. It's got, I mean, it's, it's got some interesting uh, things that Steve Zahn was uh, a, a big, like, I think he sort of became the character actor. He was after this movie. Yeah. Like that was, we started seeing Steve Zahn and almost everything. Tom Everett Scott was supposed to be the next big thing. Yeah. And everybody was, talking about how much he looked like tom hanks and all mm. their type of stuff and he never really got to that point you still see him in something every once in a while but but uh, everybody's girlfriend Liv tyler's in it oh um, man and she's kind of <laughs> doing the um almost famous role here right like the yeah. groupie that everyone watching this movie falls in love with right? yeah she was always like this in the mid 90s she was that that girl that everybody in the movie wants yeah you know empire records yeah. was the same way um and uh but yeah it's it's it is a, a lot of fluff a lot of the reason why this movie didn't do well at the box office i feel like even though there were i mean yeah there's trailers on everything but this was an attached trailer on independence day i remember yeah and it's like one of the last things that you see <laughs> before you're about to watch this big sci-fi movie that thing you do which <laughs> just doesn't make any it's like all this 50s and 60s yep. bubble cum type of stuff and then all right be prepared for a sci-fi <laughs> epic right after that um i never understood that and i felt like embarrassed when i'd want when i when i'd run independence day because that trailer would be at the end and everybody was like i don't know what to do with that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh yeah really good i think that's something one of it's one of these movies that if you haven't seen it yet it's definitely a recommend from all of us for sure mm -hmm. well this is uh Ed Norton's big year. Yes. Um, and he he would go on to become a big star, but Primal Fear mm -hmm. uh, is the one that really put him on the map in a very showy role that he nails. Yeah. Absolutely nails. Yeah, he kills it. Um, it's not the kind of movie I feel like I can watch a lot. No. But, well, because... well. We're talking about a court case related to the murder of a priest that supposedly raped a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, so it's heavy, heavy stuff. But uh, Ed Norton is, uh, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in the main topic, too. But he's playing a guy with a split personality um, who is this soft-spoken, meek guy that just doesn't seem like he could kill anybody. But he was clearly the guy that did it, found near the scene with murder weapon, I think, blood all over him. Uh and it's just so fascinating to watch his talent in this movie. Yeah, it, this is a sort of, I mean, this is one of the biggest, like, here I am moments yeah. that I've seen in movies. Um, because you don't know who this guy is. 
And then by the end of it, you're like, whoa, yeah. is he in some more stuff that I can go watch yeah. right now? And um, As impactful of a reveal, the movies aren't the same, but as impactful of a reveal as the usual suspects, really. Yeah, almost, kind of. Almost, yeah. yeah, the movie doesn't hold up near as well, like you said, but uh, it's still worth watching yeah. this movie to yeah, see yeah. this performance. It's Richard Gere's good. good, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Edward Norton's amazing in it. And I, I thought, you now Edward Norton has sort of, over the years, gotten that reputation of being a, a dickhead. Yeah. So... He he came out with a bunch of movies after this and some acclaimed roles and everything, but I think slowly it started wearing on people. And I thought he was I thought he was going to be just huge, huge after this movie, and he almost got to that point. But then his sort of reputation sort of ate him up a little bit. Well, he made the comeback with Birdman, but yeah, the sad thing is there are too many stories for there not to be some truth to some of it somewhere. It's there are stories of him being hard to deal with on multiple sets of multiple movies. Uh, keeping the faith and mm-hmm. the Incredible Hulk that he did, uh, from what I have read, he almost he basically took over that Hulk movie. And yeah, wrote and directed it without without getting the credit for it. Um, and anyway, it's it's a shame because his talent is so obvious. Yeah, and and then keeping the faith, the movie that you're talking about there. Here's a there's a scene where he's they I, I can't imagine anything more indulgent than this because I think Milos Forman is in Keeping the Faith oh, as an huh. actor. And uh, there's a scene where he leaves an, an answering machine message to him uh, in character as um, Andy Kaufman. Oh, and he wow. wanted to be Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. <laughs> and obviously Jim Carrey got that role. But Edward Norton was briefly considered or actually may have been one of the finalists to be considered for Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. Miller Schwarman did that movie. Uh, but there's a scene in Keeping the Faith where he's like leaving a message to Milos Forman in as Andy Kaufman. I'm like, what movie are we watching? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Okay. Uh, also, we talked about it uh, last podcast quite a bit, but The Cable Guy came Woo-hoo! out in 1996. Cable Gobble. Yeah. yeah. Um, we I think we've talked more than enough about this movie, but we all enjoyed it. Yep, it's uh, good. It seems like everybody else in the world doesn't, but... Um, <laughs> I, they're I, wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. Um, <laughs> 1996. Also, Courage Under Fire came uh-huh. out. Denzel. One of the many Ed's Wick with Denzel Washington movies yep. that have come out here. I love Courage Under Fire because it does sort of the Rashomon yeah. type of thing with uh, a, a battle that happens in the first uh, Iraq War. Um, and uh, and Meg Ryan probably not the most convincing as a as a like badass soldier you know type person in there like but uh but it's about it's about her and her heroism and everything and they're trying to get the story right does she deserve this medal Mm. there's so many conflicting stories because there's a lot of things that people don't want to uh reveal about the story and that's what's so great about denzel going around to all these people especially the luke diamond phillips stuff is amazing uh you know uh you talk about crowd pleasing and everything denzel's confrontation of luke diamond phillips in this movie is so fun well and it's denzel's character is damaged because he was in the war and accidentally killed a friendly tank Mm -hmm. and that's why he's not in the war anymore he's investigating these metals and he's slowly drinking himself to oblivion yeah and alcoholic denzel indeed uh but it's crushing to me that scene when he's outside his own house yeah wasted and his wife comes out and she's like you gotta you have to leave before the kids see you and mm-hmm. like they have such a complex relationship because she seems to understand he he got to this place be- 
because of this traumatic event that happened and she's not going to just walk away from him but you know she can't deal with what he's becoming and all the while he's trying to find the truth about you know, Meg Ryan's character and there's pressure from the brass above because they want to they want it to be the first female to get the medal of honor or what have you I love this movie a lot yeah acting it, performances are fantastic I've seen this a hundred million times and and this is also an early Matt Damon performance skinny too. Matt Damon skinny Matt Damon yeah. <laughs> um, sort of launched that next year of him being in like Rainmaker Goodwill Hunting and all that Ooh. he had been in a couple of other movies before this but uh, but he's nearly unrecognizable but because he's so thin yeah. in this. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend Courage Under Fire. Weirdly, on the IMDb, it has like a 6.8, which I think is low yeah. for, for a movie Seems like a little this. Low. Um, but uh, I would highly recommend watching Yeah, this. I would too. Uh, this was a really... The indie scene exploded, I feel like, this year. I, I, I could name off a dozen small indie films that were fantastic, like Lone Star. Oh my God, I yeah. love Lone yeah. Star. Flirting with Disaster. Uh-huh. Um, it just, I, I think Citizen Ruth came out this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was Alexander and Payne. And Swingers. Swingers. Swingers Bound, the Wachowski. Oh movie. yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. This was a huge year for great indie cinema. Mm-hmm. Got to talk about Lone Star a bit. Okay. Uh, John Sayles, who's probably best known for Eight Men Out yeah. at this point, but Lone Star is a terrific mystery. Oh my God. And this is Matthew McConaughey again, yeah. having a great year, by mm-hmm. the way. Matthew McConaughey and Chris, Chris Cooper, Cooper is also in this, um, but it it's it's a mystery of what's happened in the past mm-hmm. and what is happening now, and it's just fascinating how how much stuff that they have to uncover of this old murder mystery and everything, and it's oh man, it's so good. Oh my god, I can't. Mm-hmm. That, this is a movie that's just lost to time. I never hear about Lone no, Star anymore. And it's so, so, so very you great. You could pick it as your best of the year, and I wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah. Like, it's it, that good. Yeah, it is It is a great movie, and I don't hear about it anymore. And it's 20 years old. You would think that over time, a movie like that would get, like, just a huge audience. It, it really hasn't. I haven't heard about it in a while. Uh, two of my favorite television shows made the leap to big screen this year with the Mystery Science Theater movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the Kids in the Hall Brain Candy. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I probably told this story before, but I, I – drove like 70 miles to downtown chicago to see mst3k the movie because it, that it was only playing like in chicago mm-hmm. and i was like i lived like an hour and a half away packed house i thought i was gonna this is the only movie that i legit thought i'm gonna pee my pants yeah. laughing. um <laughs> and i was such a big mystery science theater fan and the jokes are so great in this film um i i was probably primed already before i walked in but they they certainly hit it out of the park uh with that one and i still I still call random ugly people Uncle Scrotor. <laughs> Give Uncle Scrotor a hug. Did you think this was oversold, though? Is just it could have been an episode, though? It sure could have been an episode. And I think that they did it on purpose that way. Mm. There's a little bit of, you know, yeah, there's a little circumstance, yeah. but uh, they're just funny people. Yeah. And you just want to spend time watching shitty movies with those yeah. people. Um, even their throwaway jokes kill me. Like when they put the saucer of milk in front of the cat and he goes, no, I can't digest milk. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love this movie. This uh, is uh, them doing This Island Earth, yeah. which uh, there were some critics who were like, This Island Earth is a good movie. Hmm. There were some people who were like, that's a good, that's different from what Mystery Science Theater usually does. I would say that This Island Earth is better than the movies that they normally do. Yeah. But holy crap, does this need to be Mystery Science oh, Theater yeah, it's more not than good anything at all? Yeah. 
Um, but I agree. I saw this at Fountain Square, the old Fountain yeah. Square yeah. theater. And, the murder um, theater. Yes, the murder theater. <laughs> the the murder. murder theater. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, enjoyed that a lot. A, n- a couple other comedies. We've talked a lot about these two before. We don't have to go too much into them, but... Two golfing comedies, Tin Cup and Happy Gilmore, mm-hmm. came out. Both of them are excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tin Cup, obviously, way more excellent, but <laughs> but uh, but Happy Gilmore is fun too, uh, especially with the the Bob Barker fight and all that. But uh, uh, we highly recommend those uh, movies. What else, guys? Disney going back to regular animation, two D animation with uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, one of the creepiest songs ever. We've it mentioned really that is. before. Yeah. I don't like the Hunchback movie very much. Oh, really? I think I like it more than most, but I think it's pretty universally snubbed. Well, it's it's not a typical Disney movie for sure. I mean, these are like heavy themes and everything, and uh, it's I I enjoy it. I think the music is fantastic. It's unlike anything Disney had done before, and I think the performances were were great. And yeah, I think I, this would be a recommend for me. Oh wow, I think you're on an island there. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> um, I think James and the Giant Peach came out this year. It did. And they just announced a motherfucking Disney live action remake of James <laughs> and the Giant Peach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to hurt someone soon uh, if they don't stop this. But I like James and the Giant Peach a lot. Yeah. Uh, visually, not like much of what you've ever seen. Uh, great kids movie, family movie, good story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys even yeah, saw, is this I Henry saw it back then. Yeah, Henry Selick again. Yeah. Um, well, this time it wasn't Tim Burton's James and the yeah, Giant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it is good. And and uh, you were talking about Space Jam. Do you have anything? Well, James to s- and the Giant Peach was was also terrifying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, depends on the age, I, I mean, guess. I, I mean, I know that I'm dating myself here, but that was terrifying. Yeah, I could <laughs> imagine. No, that. It was. It was. It was. Uh, I mean, the rhino coming from the sky. I mean, yeah. his parents die. I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot of darkness that I I kind of forgotten about. I that. agree. There's also a lot of darkness in Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that's it a is heavy in space. movie. Sure. Uh, poor Patrick Ewing. Poor, yeah. poor Sean Bradley. <laughs> the really honestly, the best thing that came out of Space Jam is that Wired did. A thing on the box score oh, for yeah. the movie oh and like uh, all the points that they were scoring and all the different like you know the weirdness that's in that final basketball scene there's like i think michael jordan scores like 99 yeah some incredible amount of points yeah. meanwhile all these other players on the team have zero points <laughs> and everything <laughs> ever go you need to find that wired Sp- space jam article it's an entertaining read well, what's so great about it too is is the shot Bradley that I mentioned his stat line looks pretty similar to his real stat based on a true story based yeah. on a true story yet, yet another film that they're threatening to make a sequel to oh yeah, LeBron. LeBron. yeah. 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 Um, because I mean let's be honest nostalgia is the only good thing about Space Jam it's a piece of crap yeah, yeah. Uh, and we don't we don't need or want another one but maybe the nine-year-olds out there do I don't know I remember the trailer to this proudly saying directed by joe pitka and you were like (laughs) you were like who who's that and you had to go do research and stuff oh he's a commercials guy okay great (laughs) i loved what he did with that golden grams commercial oh that shit was the bomb oh yeah it was amazing (laughs) i think uh the trek fans will want us to talk about first content Yeah. yeah uh the obvious clear best of the next generation films Mm -hmm. um and uh, maybe most famous for that 
Picard speech about the line must be drawn here, yeah. this far and no farther. <laughs> or Alfred Woodard saying, blow up the damn ship, Jean-Luc. Yeah. Um, it's quality. It's fun. Uh, I don't think any of the Next Generation films have ever had the weight of the original cast films. Um, but this is by far the best. Uh, and James Cromwell's in it. And he's very enjoyable as the guy who- Let's rock and roll. Rod. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I think Trek fans respect that film, and so I wanted to make sure we mentioned it. Yeah. Not going to contend for best of the year. Okay, I'm going to kind of go through some of these. Sling Blade came out in 1996. Mm-hmm. This was uh, Billy Bob Thornton doing directing, acting, and and everything, writing. Just uh, a great performance, and uh, a young Lucas Black. Uh, yeah, and a great um, John Ritter. John Ritter, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, Sling Blade is, uh, is a really good movie. Um uh, what else did I see here? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Fairley Brothers came out with Kingpin. Yeah, great. A movie I love. I love this so yep. much. It's, mm-hmm. Now, Fairley Brothers, again, just like Dumb and Dumber, have a lot of gross-out humor in this and everything, but I do love this movie. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and this came out just before The Big Lebowski, which would be a really good like uh you know a double feature yeah. if you want to say so, you know, movies about bowling and everything. Um uh, the People versus Larry Flint, which is another Edward Norton performance, and Milos uh, Forman. Yeah, Milos Forman. <laughs> um, man, now now this sort of just solidified Edward Norton all in one year because yeah. Primal Fear was sort of his like you know well here's the tease how good he is. People versus Larry Flint, he's fucking amazing. Yes, yeah. yeah, and Courtney Love shows up yes. as an actual actress, actual actress, <laughs> yeah. and she's good in it too. Yeah, yeah. she uh, actually then shows up in Man on the Moon too. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Foreman. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But uh, but but I love this. Uh, Woody Harrelson is is the is playing Larry Flint, the uh, the you know the founder of Hustler. Uh, but I love the the argument that Edward Norton gives to the to the court at the end of this, basically saying I don't like what he does either, but yeah. what I do like is that we can live in a country where that guy, if that guy gets protected, you'll be protected yeah. for whatever thing that you th- want to say and do. Um, How about Ransom? Ransom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's worthy of a mention. Yeah. yeah. It, it made is. a lot of money. It made a ton of money. This is Ron Howard. Yeah. Um, directing Mel Gibson. Give me back my son. Yeah. That's um, the most memorable thing right there. <laughs> it pretty much is. Dumping Gary the money on the table. It is a great scene. Um, I think it's a watchable film. It's not great, mm-hmm. but it's not terrible. Yeah. No, it's it's solid. It's fun. Yeah. This movie, um, this year has a lot of fun movies in it. It you know? does. Mars Attacks is a fun movie. Yeah. Um, sleepers. Black Sheep. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. you say Sleepers? Yeah. <laughs> sleepers is so fun. <laughs> so fun. It's a... It's a sequel. That's the most wrong thing I've ever said. It's a sequel to Woody Allen's Sleeper, right? That's what it is. It's, it's, it's kind of like Alien and Alien. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do not um, watch this movie with that in mind. No. So after Pulp Fiction and Get Shorty, Travolta follows that up with three forgettable movies this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Phenomenon, Michael, and Broken Arrow. Yeah. And thus begins the slow and steady decline of his A-list status, in right. my opinion. I remember being a kid and thinking... It's weird that Phenomenon and Michael came out the same year. Yeah. And, and like in my memory, those are the 
Those are the same movies. Yeah, they <laughs> pretty yeah, much sure are. That, I'm sure that if you watch them now, maybe you'll, well, you'll call me out on that. I don't remember. Did, did Powder come out like the year before this, or, or was it the same year? I, so, so it, it's Powder's, it's a, around there. Powder's another one of those type of movies that came out around this time, and you're just like, what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like all these regular human beings that have are angels or have powers or, <laughs> yep. um, or you know, are completely white. And <laughs> 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 he means that literally, not, yeah. not yeah, in a yeah, race yeah. way. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it, um, but there was something else on Long this. Kiss Goodnight. Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, love Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, it's not great. No, but this is Shane Black uh, uh, writing a screenplay for Rennie Harlan, who's not a great director by any means. But Shane Black is always the star of his, yeah. of like his movies. His dialogue is always fun, especially. Samuel Jackson thing where he's like it took me a long time to get there I had to think of that I'm on Rye line <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the line where he says when you make an assumption you make an ass out of you yeah. an umption <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is like that period of time Rennie Harlan was married to Gina Davis and like every movie he did had Gina Davis Rhode Island, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that's a that's a fun little small movie to go watch too um Say train spotting train spotting is an another big one yeah. yeah um another one getting a sequel that is, is it really yeah mm-hmm. why yeah how actually yeah. how how is it's a really good question um this uh, is the same guy that makes slumdog millionaire yeah that movie did this end. is one of the grossest movies i've ever seen train spotting it yeah. is and yeah. and slumdog millionaire is one of the most harmless clean movies but, i mean there's gross moments in it but yeah it's just it's it's basically set up to show you what people will do yeah. for drugs. Yeah. And the nastiest toilet in Scotland <laughs> is one of those things. Also, the the baby scene that's yeah. in this, which is one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen in a movie mm. before. Uh, I watched this movie. I remember watching this movie in the theater, and uh, I was like, I don't know what anybody's saying in this no, no <laughs> clue this is you know this is everybody's in that what is it is it scottish uh-huh. yeah, scottish yeah. extremely like authentic yeah, scottish yeah. brogue and it's just like you know I blah, 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 you know it's a different language to me but this movie made ewan mcgregor a star yeah yeah i mean this was maybe his first role certainly the first one american audiences mm-hmm. ever saw him in yeah and uh, robert carlisle who's terrifying in it yeah um mm-hmm. johnny lee miller you know, considering that this movie is about heroin addiction and what people will do for drugs, it doesn't the, making a sequel almost sort of defeat one of the more metaphorical purposes of this movie. You know, I mean, the, the end is is that's the end. You well, know? that's yeah. how that ends. Apparently not. Let's do it again. I don't think Hollywood cares yeah, anymore. It's going to end better this time. I mean, they're putting the dead guy in the Kingsman sequel, for fuck's sake. Like, uh, Lancelot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he's gonna be in the sequel. Oh my god, they don't care. They're just like, okay, whatever. They really don't. Um, briefly, I want to mention Big Night. We've talked about that yeah. before, mm-hmm. but if you like food and like watching movies that make you hungry, no movie will do it more than this one. <laughs> uh, it just so happens to be a very charming movie with good performances alongside that. Um, but I love Big Night. Um, I, I after this, it's a lot of like just minor stuff i believe and i think we're ready to oh no i have one more yeah yeah it's an important one this is this is maybe my favorite movie of the year certainly my favorite christmas movie 
Oh, what, uh, jingle all the way! Jingle all the way! <laughs> <laughs> it's a holiday classic. I can't finish this. You take that back. Jingle all the way. You take that back. You take your childhood back. I can't do it. Um, I can't take. Phil hours. Hartman is worth watching this movie. I have low yeah. key. Phil Hartman is amazing. And yeah. that's one of my notes. Um, <laughs> he's really funny in this yeah. movie. Uh, pretty forgettable for me, but. I remember thinking Phil Hartman was really funny, and that's yeah. really all I have to say about that. Yeah, um, I won't take my childhood back. I won't do it. <laughs> do it I'm, over. I'm running down the list of beautiful girls we talked about. Yeah. Is uh, mm. is is very good. Um, and, and you know, if you weren't creeped out about the professional, there you go. You will this be is... creeped out about this one because uh, of Timothy Hutton and and you Natalie, know, and Portman. Natalie Portman. Portman being uh, like 14 years old. And uh, <laughs> um, although he, you know, to be fair, he's just saying she will be amazing when she grows up. When you know, but it's still there. It you can kind of kind of feel like, all right, if he had the chance, would you date her? I think he, um, I think he would. Uh, Stealing Beauty came out. Another to speaking of yep. Liv Tyler being yep. everybody's girlfriend. That's a perfect movie to watch if you like Liv Tyler. Um, Heart Eight, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's debut movie yep. that he likes to call Sydney. Uh, he didn't. He he actually had a problem with the company, whoever it was that was the studio that worked with calling it Heart Eight. But uh, this is a really good glimpse into what he would become later. Uh, this is a really great Paul Thomas Anderson movie, if you haven't seen it. Bottle Rocket, which was Wes Anderson's yep. debut, mm-hmm. um, uh, is also fantastic. Uh, the Nutty Professor, which got Eddie Murphy sort of back on the radar uh, for a little bit. Um, Unfortunately. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's it kind of a... Uh, yeah, it's what... Uh, Tropic Fun- Thunder makes fun of the fatties. Yeah, and, uh, they don't have to go any further over the top to make fun of it. It's <laughs> already that stupid. Yeah, it pretty much is. Uh, Breaking the Waves, the Lars von Trier yeah, movie came out. Yeah, this is a big out. year for, for directors kind of getting their first swings at it. Yeah. Uh, the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet came out in Yeah, we have to mention that. We do have mm-hmm. to mention that. Duty Bound. Duty Bound for Kenneth Branagh stuff. Um, don't and- be a menace. Yeah, don't be a missile. I was going to say, there's two horrible spoof movies that come out in 1996. Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood and High School High, both oh, of the, which yeah. is the, you know, sort of the, the make fun of all the one person comes into the school and lean on me and dangerous minds and all that. Uh, Shine came out, which also got best picture jeffrey rush won the oscar for oh my god that's uh, a great movie that is a really yeah. really good movie it you really is it really is um and after that everyone says i love you another edward norton movie came out oh, wow. uh woody allen directed that did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals i'm kat mother of three and founder of ritual when i was four months pregnant I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. I have a list here of uh, super flops. Yeah. That starred big people, but the movies were flops. Also, Spy Hard, another bad yeah. spoof movie. Anyway. Uh, Jack with Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Bulletproof with Adam Sandler. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Dunstan checks in with Jason Alexander <laughs> from Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Bilko with... Um, Steve Martin. Yeah. And uh, Down Periscope with Frasier. Yeah. And Mary Riley. With, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mary Riley. Oh, my God. 
There were um, a lot of big stars with flops this year. Um, Mary Riley was fucking terrible. Oh my god! Yes, it was. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. Um, Beavis and Butthead do America yes, came out. I uh, love that. Movie. I do too. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, sort of towards the end of the list here. Uh, let's see, Secrets and Lies, the Mike Lee movie, came out really good movie. Anything else that anybody can think of? If you want to vote? Let's vote. We're ready to vote. Do we have an order? Yeah, we do. So it is Jeremy, Chris, Barrett, and Laurent. Laurent will be our <laughs> batting cleanup, tying or tiebreaker, or, or mm-hmm. fucking everything up. Vote. Yeah, guys, can you just all vote the same? <laughs> we rely on an odd <laughs> number of people this, here. Guys, everyone vote for the same, so I can vote for Jingle all the way, and it won't matter. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm going to vote Fargo. Nice. Okay. Um, I think it is the best movie of this year. I cannot find anything negative to say about it. We've already talked about it a bunch in this podcast. I fucking love the wood chipper scene. Mm-hmm. Um, quality, quality stuff. I uh, I can't find any movie on this list that's better than this. Mm-hmm. Is is it me? Uh-huh. Uh, I'm also going Fargo. All right, um, inching closer to your jingle all the way vote. Yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, yeah, for everything that we've said before, Fargo is is the is really the class of this year, I believe. So, Since 2000, I've been saying that The Cable Guy is my favorite comedy of all time. Mm. And I think that's still the case. Um, and so I really was trying to challenge that to see if there was a movie that I liked more this year. And there is. It's Fargo. Oh! Um, but you wouldn't certainly put them in the same class. But uh, if I were to watch something over and over again, I would watch The Cable Guy. But I love Fargo. I can watch that. Anytime. I mean, if you guys had both gone Fargo before me, I would have gone that thing you do. That's how much I love that movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, since I was leading off, I had to. I couldn't go with a dark horse. I mm. had to go with the, the clear challenger. And so it's three to nothing. All and right. Now Hello. we're to Larange. I, I, I got to go Fargo, too. I love it. Right. <laughs> I, I don't have as much to contribute to it, but I, I love the movie. I but can't no go. Phil Hartman in Fargo. There's no <laughs> Phil Hartman, you know? There really is. No Sinbad. Oh, there's no. <laughs> that's a very common complaint Sinbad and Phil Hartman were in a lot of weird comedies because they're in that house guest movie uh-huh, together and uh-huh. they're both in Jingle All the Way and I just think that's weird <laughs> what's Sinbad doing these days uh, he's probably making a lot of money I'm he's, sure he is but what is he doing he's lonely <laughs> he's lonely <laughs> <laughs> alright so Fargo wins right? Fargo, yeah, wins. Fargo wins unanimous Good job. unanimous 4-0 oh. fuck you Academy fuck you, <laughs> you adultery go. movie mm-hmm. exactly adultery movie. That's right. <laughs> Fuck that adultery movie, whatever it's called. We won't know uh, until we look at the IMDb again. It's um, called English Patient. All you have to do is type it into Google. Adultery movie, English Patient comes up. <laughs> We're going to talk to Larange about uh, all the stuff that he's got going. Be right Larange. Yeah. The tale was discussed beneath the Earth's crust. Spectators at the equator were ready for the data. The worst was yet to come. We wanted to give uh, Lorange a, a chance to kind of give listeners an insight about what he does, how he came to know us, and uh, how we became food friends, I guess. Um, <laughs> we got out to dinner. It sounds like we bonded over food. Yeah, we totally did. We and bonded so, and there was food. If you go to his music, LorangeProductions.com, it's fantastic. It gives you an insight on on kind of how his musical tastes are, uh, some some clips that you can play. So, Lorange, kind of give us a little bit about your background. And Yeah, I've been, you know, producing sort of very weird uh, instrumental, mostly hip-hop for about 10 years now. It's a little bit hard to describe, but it's sort of like if you're... Uh, 
uh, stoned and also sad, you know, that's kind of, it's, it's decent music for I it. I frequently both of those things. You know, and so it would make sense. In other ways, is I, you know, if you've ever been wearing headphones and walking down the street and you, and there's another person walking in the opposite direction, you accidentally make eye contact with them and you think like, wow, man, like that guy's probably got a story. You know, it's my mm. music is great to score that event, mm. you know, moving the other way. But, um, you know, I've been a big fan of your guys' channel for a long time. And then when I found out you guys had a podcast, I was, you know, all in. I'm obviously not the movie expert that you guys are. But, uh, uh, you know, I always I enjoy you guys' personalities. And I enjoy learning a lot about movies and, and kind of being a part of these inside jokes that I'm definitely not a part of. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, uh, and so, yeah, I heard I heard the intro and uh, I, I thought it was, well, where is my mind cover? And I was wrong. <laughs> um, I didn't too. Don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I thought it, I thought uh, on the off chance that you guys might, you know, want to work with me. I knew I lived in Nashville, too, and, and that was a, a cool little connection. And so I kind of offhandedly, I think I, I tweeted at, at Cinema Sims. And, yeah. Um, something about, you know, uh, uh, wanting to work with you or wanting to do the intro or, or something like that. But, um, you know, to my, uh, sort of amazement, uh, you guys got back to me very quickly and, you know, and it's weird. We like, I mean, people don't think that we read tweets to us or messages or check out things that are sent to us. And I think we do it more than people realize. Mm-hmm. I know if your music had sucked, we yeah. would not have gotten back to you quickly. <laughs> Uh, if you'd been like a wannabe, you know, a nobody, but it was pretty easy to see pretty quick that you were the real deal. Oh, and I, I sent the link to Chris and Barrett and I think Barrett reached out to you and the Immediately, rest is history. We were all on board. Um, yeah. And I love the theme song. I call it the podcast theme song, even Good. though it's a song you made before you ever knew us. But, <laughs> it's the podcast theme song. Um, it's uh, perfect. It fits great. I can't. Thank you enough for letting us use it. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, when you guys even talked about it, I, I was going through my head of like, what what, what song would work with this? And then it, that one just, I was like, that's the only one I'm going to send them. Like, because that's, <laughs> that's the one I, I've learned from working with rappers through the years that if you send people three beats, I, I usually try to include one that's really strong that I love. And then two that are kind of weaker and just hopes that they will choose the right one. They never, they never do. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm just gonna send you the one track. This is the one that I think would be perfect. It was it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm ecstatic that you guys liked it. I'm really glad I could, I could be a part of this in some way. No, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have you back again. Yeah, we'll, we'll have you write a new theme song for us a year from now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. rebrand the show or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so being a music person. What do you? What is sort of your favorite kind of scores that you've heard in movies? Who's who really reaches out to you, basically? Yeah, you know, I think. Oh, I think there's a cross section of being a, a music person and, and being a uh, uh, an introverted person that maybe isn't as experienced in, in movies or names as as you guys would be. But uh, so my picks are are kind of are kind of cheating. I think like <laughs> uh, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is is Manhattan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love that score, and that's You're in good company here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the most iconic scores of, of all time, really. Oh, yeah, Gershwin's Gershwin. music, yeah, yeah, Rhapsody in Blue, and uh, it's oh, it's great. I have a big poster of the movie in my studio. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the uh, uh, one of my favorites. That score sort of speaks to how I make music as well, where it's sort of referential and kind of uh, a modern take on on kind of a bygone era, mid century sort of. Uh, approach to things mm-hmm. nice good pick awesome yeah. um what what do you got coming up in the next uh, little while 
Uh, October 7th, I have a uh, new album with a guy named Mr. Liff. Yeah. He's a really talented rapper, and it'll be coming out on uh, Adult Swim on uh, October 7th. And then um, an extended version of the album, and then CDs and vinyl will come out a week later on Mellow Music Group. CDs. CDs. <laughs> we even have CDs. They're hard copies. Nice. And um, uh, oh, you know what's worth mentioning? Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for the internet that this is largely a non factor. L apostrophe orange is how you spell my name. Uh-huh. You'd be shocked at how many people. It's, it's you know, I got it well, right away. I don't know what's wrong with them. Yeah. Well, you got you got the you have this Adult Swim thing coming out, and the, one of the one of the songs that's on iTunes right now is called Strange Technology, which mm-hmm. I've heard uh, I've heard a few times now. And obviously, I can I can definitely hear that on an Adult Swim bumper or whatever <laughs> like that. But it's the first time I've actually heard one of those songs complete. Like mm. usually, Adult Swim, you yeah. you see the bumper and it's just like kind of a oh, did they make that that one stretch of the song just yeah. for this bumper? No, it's an actual real song. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I haven't heard it and it's I, I've enjoyed it very. Well, I much. I appreciate so. it. I mean, growing up and even you know watching Adult Swim, it's funny looking back now because I remember just thinking like, wow. I love that music that they play in between those, you know, things. And then, you know, now I know everyone that produced those and they're all my biggest influences, literally <laughs> like one by one by one there. Every person has been someone that I really admired and cool. modeled my career after in some way. And so it's very cool to sort of be a part of that kind of a childhood dream. Nice. I would say definitely go and check out LaRange. Yeah. Where, where do you prefer them to go? When they're looking for your stuff? Uh, just anywhere. Uh, you know, normally it sounds, this sounds so cocky, but it's really genuine. Just if you Google LaRange, you can find any way you want to listen to it. If yeah. You like videos or iTunes or Spotify or I don't know, however you, however you want Do to it. listen So it's to easy. It. Yeah. It's saying. easy. You have no excuse. Yeah. Wherever, the spelling. wherever music is found. Yeah. Wherever music is found. <laughs> I'll also put a link on the uh, SoundCloud page. That's too. a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad you're with us. Well, you're also going to be contributing today with our topic for today, and that is uh, mental health in movies. Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh, boy. You are not real. You are not real. You're still talking to me, soldier. Why were you unhappy? Uh, Well, there are a lot of reasons. You just don't want to learn anything. You just don't want to listen to anybody. How is it portrayed? Is it? I guess we kind of go in with uh, sort of, is it good or bad, or is it a kind of a... a Accurate or non-accurate. Uh, yeah, that mm-hmm. type. Uh, Barrett uh, obviously has a lot of experience with this type of stuff because he's a crazy motherfucker. That's right. Summarize uh, your your uh, professional experience. Yeah, so we have a bunch of different perspectives from this topic. I worked in mental health uh, for about 16 years uh, in various roles, doing research, doing counseling and therapy and things like that. And so I've, I got a perspective of like a whole range of like depression and bipolar and anxiety and schizophrenia and things like that and, and addiction too. When I see a portrayal in, um, in movies, it kind of like puts my spidey senses up a little bit more uh, than probably most people. So I can kind of just call bullshit on some things and then I can really, really relate to the ones that get it right. I'll tell you one thing that movies had always taught me during the years. And then when I actually went to college and took a, an abnormal psych class that I was floored about is schizophrenia in general. Uh Mm -hmm. Schizophrenia 
has always been portrayed in movies as multiple personality disorder. Yes. And it's insane. I don't mean to say that uh, insensitively, <laughs> but it, 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 it is that how many times that was misdiagnosed in movies. Like every time somebody has multiple personalities, it's like, oh, he's got schizophrenia, man. And that was what we sort of like. Okay. I got to get into this right now. You're going to bring that up because fuck that. Fuck that. Because that is not. Okay. Multiple personality disorders or dissociative identity disorders. It was called in the DSM-4. Doesn't exist. It is super fucking rare. But if you are an attractive young actor in Hollywood, you've got it. Yeah. Because Edward Norton in Fight Club, Johnny Depp in Secret Window, Sybil, let's see, uh, me, myself, and Irene, Identity, uh, <laughs> fucking everybody has multiple personality disorders, yeah. and it doesn't fucking exist, and that's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> so anyway, that's my screen on it. Right. You probably watch movies the way my mom did when I was growing up. She's a nurse, and mm. so- until ER, she was always cinema sinning the <laughs> surgery or the doctor. But ER got so much of it right because yeah. they had doctors involved. Like My- Michael Crichton was a doctor. Mm. Um, but uh, anyway, so you know, you're on the clinical side. And you've got all this experience. I'm on the other side. I deal with anxiety and have dealt with depression um, as a as an individual. Mm. Uh, I take a daily medication for anxiety. Um, I have a standby emergency medication if things get out of control, and I see a therapist to talk through my issues on a regular basis. Uh, For me, it's mostly about, for my personal issue, anxiety, it's mostly about control um, and fight or flight. And so when I start to lose control of my environment or my surroundings or... Um, Like on a plane, it's really bad for me because I'm not in any control of any of that. Mm. and uh, there'll be times, sometimes I'll walk into Kroger, just doing some shopping. I'm walking up and down the aisles. Half my basket is full and I just have to set it down and leave. I just get overwhelmed with that fight or flight for no good reason. It's just my chemicals are firing too strong or too weak in certain areas. Uh, so my perspective on this will be from the side of somebody who who deals with some of these personally. And the one I wanted to bring up first was the TV show, The Girlfriend Experience, mm. which just ran on Stars. Fantastic show if you can handle all the sex. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's difficult. Um, You've been warned. But if you take all the sex and nudity away, it's still a very powerful show with great performances. And there's a moment uh, near the end of the season where the main character, she's she's a legal intern by day and a high-priced hooker by weekend and night. Um, And people at work find out a video gets sent around of her having sex with one of her clients that comes from her email address, even though she didn't send it. And she has a panic attack. Um, and I have never seen what I feel during an anxiety attack so well presented on screen, mm. um, both in in the way she behaves, the way the shooting and editing makes me feel, and the way everybody around her behaves because they don't know what the fuck is going on they don't know what to do um and i think possible she's faking it like oh, yeah. in, within the realm of the story i think she faked that because she will go on to later basically threaten to sue them and come out victoriously uh, but i don't think the show ever draws any solid conclusions but i was real i think i even mentioned it to you in an email mm-hmm. i was really impressed with how well they did that scene because a lot of times i feel like anxiety or panic attacks are presented cartoony in yeah, movies. Yeah, a nervous breakdown, as yeah. they say. Yeah, somebody's screaming hysterically or what have you, and it's not really like that. Mm-hmm. And you watch this scene, and 
she looks like she's drowning. Yeah, it's like you're being suffocated. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and it's so well done. Uh, even if only for that scene and that episode, go check that out because I thought I was really impressed with that. Well, there's definitely a madcap approach to to stress and all this. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, I, the one off the top of my head is analyze this. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole plot is about this mob boss who can't handle his own anxiety and keeps yeah. having panic attacks and. And as a kid, I remember being like, wow, that looks awful. And then I had my first panic yeah. attack and I'm like, you know, uh, OK, you know, it's not as it's not as uh, wacky and, and fun as that. It's uh, waves of, yeah. you know, I mean, and it's not as convenient, I think, as, as a lot of things, you know, like you said, in grocery stores. I mean, I think my last one was in the middle of Walmart. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, well, I was looking for notebooks, but now I'm getting the hell out of yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like, that's it. But I think, you know, as adults dealing with this, I think we're almost um, in a better position because we recognize the signs now. Yeah. And because we can start to be like, okay, you know, my heart rate is increasing. My breathing is getting a little more shallow. Yeah. And then remove ourselves from that situation. We might still panic, but, you know, well, we'll be in a better it, position. My therapist wants me to be more predictive and expectant of of scenarios mm-hmm. that make me anxious, right? So that when they happen, I'm not also surprised and shocked in mm-hmm. the moment. But I have I have expected this, so I have my rules and my list. On my, here's how I'm going to respond to this when this happens. Uh, one of the things that movies do a lot uh, flippantly about mental health as a storytelling device is to just have one of their characters talk to a therapist. Yeah. Right? Um, Sopranos even did this. The yep. Thomas Crown Affair does this. And it's... Very often, that's not what therapy is like, what you're seeing in those scenes. Um, I thought The Sopranos got it right several times because uh, she really made him work hard. Uh, but what I want to talk about is Matchstick Men, yeah, where Nicolas wow. Cage is a nervous ball of energy. Uh, and they use the talking to the psychologist plot device, but then they flip it on its freaking ear when you find out that that therapist is part of the con yeah um but i thought cage was really good in this movie yeah and um unlike the way i felt about his leaving las vegas drunk performance i feel like he's working really hard to portray somebody who deals with the kind of stuff that i do i can relate to that it seems like he's a real guy with real anxiety mm-hmm. um and it's also a great movie but to boot <clears throat> that is a good movie. that is uh, something that you don't see very much in movies is talking about anxiety and stuff like that you, you see it but they're usually ancillary characters or you know co- comic relief uh, of some sort or whatever um but i do think that most of the most of the the mental uh, health movies are always about serial killers yeah <laughs> like mm-hmm. serial killers are the biggest thing like you know and i don't think anybody really understands serial killers at all um i mean not any of us barrett may he might might have hung out with a few um but uh but uh silence of the lambs yeah yeah uh would you say that anthony hopkins diagnosis of buffalo bill and that is accurate or is it movie i'll tell you what it is it's based on the empirical research that bob wrestler and john douglas did in the fbi back in those days Mm -hmm. Whether that holds up now or not uh, about the psychological profiling, at that point when they started that in the FBI, there were like six people working on that unit, and now God knows how many people they've got on it. Um, There's academics that do this. I have never been able to give you an answer about whether that is accurate or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, It sounds plausible, and it sounds they claim that they can predict some traits uh, from people, but... 
I've, I've just never really seen the stuff to back up what they claim. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it, it is fun to watch. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know if what, if is, do you think the movie is uh, sort of doing a 1990s? I mean, I'm, Yes, Buffalo Bill kills people. Mm-hmm. Let's not let let's take the killing people out of the, the, the equation here <laughs> yeah. for just a second. Even though I know it's hard, uh, but his desire to be want to be a woman. Yeah. Do you think there the movie is also considering that part of his psychosis? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, the book definitely does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie uh, kind of touches on that too, because what what that is all is is you're you're looking at the clues and you're trying to predict. You get a picture. It's like a sketch artist. Like, how big is the nose? How big are the eyes? How, how much hair does he have? That kind of thing. And, I mean, there's little things like if you get to their apartment, do they have the toilet paper going over or under? Like, you know, those, those kinds of things. Uh, it's supposedly like a submissive trait or something oh, like that. It's it's little it's little things like that, that that go into, like, how did they kill him? Where it's getting up close to somebody. What are their motivations to do this? You know, that kind of thing. And you piece together a puzzle that's, as good as you can get, and if you're on like Criminal Minds, you do it once a week. <laughs> and, if you're, and if you're anybody else, I don't know how how uh, successful they're you always are, so sure on Criminal Minds. Like they're always like the man you're looking for is 34, blonde, went to Harvard, <laughs> and, and throws left handed but right right-handed. <laughs> right-handed. They always know everything, right? I, yeah. I always I like the Zodiac approach more, where it's like over a dozen years yeah. they get bits and pieces, but they still don't ever really get a full profile of who mm-hmm. this guy is um i want to talk about what about bob yes because you listed it and it certainly deals with mental health but i'm curious to your opinion on it he's got so richard dreyfus <laughs> diagnoses him as a multiphobic personality yeah um <laughs> and i think that was pretty much it uh yeah he's got a little bit of everything and that's kind of the charm of this character is he's got anxiety he's got depression at one point he's like oh yeah i got that yeah he's got claustrophobia he's got all the phobias and the relationship that he gets into is obviously comical and everything like that, but it's based on like a, a lot of like these transference, the Freudian term of transference and countertransference. So transference is the patient becoming like, you know, linked to you. Yeah. And countertransference is the therapist becoming linked to the uh, the patient there. So, yeah, there's they cover a lot of that stuff and like what are boundaries and what is this and that kind of thing. And I like how they really make fun of. And at that point, there was a lot of these like new therapies coming out. Yeah. It's it's this. It's called this. It's dialectical behavior. Baby therapy. steps. It's this. It's <laughs> baby steps. It's death therapy. Yeah. You know. And so death therapy is what got him over. Your death therapy carried me, Eugene. Yes. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I I like that. I like his presentation. I just love that character on many levels. Well, I mean, it's so. I mean, this movie's. I don't think this movie's trying to be super serious about yeah, mental yeah, yeah. health. But there, there are people who struggle in the way early on in this movie when he can't, he can barely leave his apartment and then he struggles to get on the bus. There are people who deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but what I always took away from the movie that I liked regarding mental health was that uh, the advice Dreyfus gives him actually helps him. Yeah. Like, it is the cheesy baby step therapy <laughs> or take a vacation from my problems or what have you. <laughs> but he actually gets better. By following the advice of his therapist, yeah. even though he's completely invading this guy's privacy and being an <laughs> asshole, uh, I don't feel like this movie is giving the finger to mental health. No, 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 definitely not. I mean, I think, it, like I said, I think it's giving the finger to those fad therapies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those those little things. And if you do your homework and you're all in and you're trying to do it, I, that's how you that's how you get better. Ed Norton's an interesting guy because we talked about Primal Feel earlier where he's 
Now, I think ultimately he does not have the multiple personality yeah, disorder. Yeah. Um, he's faking it. Spoiler, not worth uh, <laughs> avoiding the movie because it's still great. Uh, but he, And then we talked about Fight Club a second ago where mm-hmm. he, he, he does actually have multiple personality disorder. But he's also in the score mm-hmm. where he plays a character that's a thief who has a day job where he moonlights as a mentally, like a guy with Down syndrome or some kind of mental disability. Mm-hmm. And he's like a janitor, like a junior janitor, volunteers. And so every time he's in that world, have you not ever seen this movie? No. It's De Niro I and Brando. Yeah, yeah. It's good. I like the movie. Frank yeah, Oz I've seen directed it. it, of all people. Frank, Frank Oz. Oz. Yeah, that's really yeah. weird. Um, and so I wonder... If it's just coincidence that Ed Norton finds himself in these roles, or if he is somehow drawn to roles that deal with, you know, mental health or disability or what have you, for whatever reason. Well, I, yeah, I like that. It, the issue with this and how it's portrayed in, in Hollywood is that anxiety isn't necessarily showy, right? right. And, and a panic attack is not necessarily showy, unless you do those histrionics. Sure. And depression is definitely not showy. Uh, it's It's... You know, locking yourself in your room for, you know, six weeks or something like that and not really coming out. Uh, what is showy is like psychosis and multiple personalities and stuff like that. And even though uh, the latter is super rare, schizophrenia is actually pretty prevalent, about one to two percent of the population. And one movie that does get that right is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah. Foreman. They really do. Obviously, Jack Nicholson's character is not supposed to be, you know, he's kind of in there just as, you know, uh, to, to avoid a, a prison sentence. Um the other ancillary characters in that movie do a really, really good job of uh, presenting a, a, a huge range of pathologies. And some are schizophrenic, some are um, almost mute, some are super anxious like Billy uh, that has that stuttering problem and all that stuff. And so that's one of the things that I, I really think uh, hit it on the head. And from Kesey's, you know, book to to the, the movie and the performances and everything, I think it's awesome. Yeah. No, yeah. Depression, I think, is something that I deal with more than more than anxiety in my personal background. That's, you know, I mean, I've gone through my periods. I think they're fairly connected in a lot of ways. But uh, but depression is very hard, like you said, to present in, in film um, through a character, through, mm-hmm. you know, the realistic. It's not a fun movie to watch a guy not be able to take his trash out for four mm-hmm. days or whatever. You know, I mean, that's just a very internal concept. But what movies, you know, a lot of movies I feel do well when they approach it is when they um, they acknowledge the depression not through necessarily even a singular character, but through the tone of the movie itself. Mm-hmm. It, it begins to take on this somewhat realistic uh, a- approach of where you're um, constantly obsessing over maybe the banality but the beauty of life. You know, I mean, it's it's very overwhelmingly um, paralyzing feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like uh, uh, Royal Tenenbaums does, yeah. it, does it well. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, um, good, good, that's good, a good good great pick. Um, you know, Little Miss Sunshine does a very realistic portrait of it. Little Miss well. Sunshine yeah. does an excellent I don't know portrait. You guys, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I don't like Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. The mo- I do like Steve Carell He's in it, though. so great. And, and, and yeah, he is amazing in this. So I, 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 and, of course, Alan Arkin's great, too. I mean, mm-hmm. there's good performances in it, but... Steve Carell is really the guy who kind of steals this whole movie. Yeah, he's got he's got not that you need a reason to be depressed, but he's got a very strange reason to be yeah. depressed that he's the second first <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. He was engaged to the first uh, something right. like that. Uh, but it's interesting that you brought up Tenenbaums because Royal Tenenbaums in like Garden State mm-hmm. have there's this fine line between depression and ennui, mm. and it's kind of like Royal Tenenbaums goes what I think is is the 
more accurate direction. And Garden State goes in the, <laughs> I'm just bored and I, you know, I want to just. A little bit more indulgent. Maybe. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. Well, and there was a hashtag trending yesterday, actually. Um, I get depressed when. Uh, hmm? And I saw plenty of people on there, you know, sarcastically correcting them, saying, I get depressed yeah. when people don't understand depression is a real illness <laughs> yeah, and use yeah. it as an emotion. Uh, yeah. But there's a giant misunderstanding of, of depression. I think anxiety, at least, even if you don't understand when I say I have anxiety, if you don't understand what that means to my day to day, you understand what anxiety is. But depression has over the years been so linguistically linked to sadness mm -hmm. uh, that it's hard for a lot of people to to understand that depression is actually something completely different than sadness yeah, yeah. it's not even great sadness it's you're mobilized you're you're useless um it's a hard I, thing to normalize which is why characters like little miss sunshine are, are kind of important it's because this character isn't you know, th I mean, he is the sad one, but that's not his all-consuming trait. He's a very endearing character. Oh, he's yeah. a very oh, yeah. well, regular He sells life to that kid at the yeah. end um, so beautifully. Uh, I love mm -hmm. that movie. I know you just said you didn't like it, but I'll beat you up later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, American Sniper, I think, deals really well with PTSD. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't want to get into the politics that movie inspired discussion-wise, but I... The, the the one time I watched it, what I walked away with was I was really impressed with Bradley Cooper's like miniature acting, mm -hmm. uh, the the way his eyes would dart when someone would call him one of his nicknames or praise him for all his kills or what. he was so clearly dealing with all this like he hates who he's become and that he's killed all these people. Uh, and I thought his performance was a really good because I, I have known a couple people who were vets and and. It was very similar to the way he behaves in that movie. Yeah, it can get cartoony in, in movies, too, where you'll see, like, spoofs where uh, old army vets will will yell, incoming, and, like, throw something on yeah. top of them and stuff yeah. like that. That stuff actually does happen, though. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy, but it, a lot of times it's certainly not as overblown as that. It's more of just, like, you know, you're scared to, if you hear, you get startled. Yeah. You hear sound, and it reminds you of things like that, and there's these pathways in the brain that just have been primed. Yeah. And after a while, like, that's what you associate it with. And it doesn't have to be, you know, combat. Uh, there's several different types of PTSD, some of which are just, uh, almost all of which are, are hideous. Yeah. Um, and imagine being just linked to that when some just normal event happens. And it's uh, it's pretty terrifying. Of course, yeah. the sad, you know, the real sad thing about that movie is that he ends up trying to help people with mm -hmm. that towards the end. and he's And he loses his life because... You know, he just got to the wrong person and the wrong situation and all of that. Um, it's uh, American Sniper. I, this isn't PTSD. Well, maybe it is. Vincent D'Onofrio in Full Metal Jacket. Mm -hmm. um, this is a really fascinating uh, change of a character throughout this first 30 minutes of Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Um, because he comes in as bright eyed and like with all the hope in the world Ooh. that he can. And he's at the very bottom by the end of it because he's been broken down. Mm -hmm. Um, he has all the humanity in the world until his drill sergeant strips it from him methodically throughout the whole thing, punishing him in front of his, uh, uh, front of the men. Even the men don't like him. He's alone. He's there's so many different facets to this, this character by the time, by the end of it, he has nobody, and he and the only only thing he does as an outlet is violence, mm -hmm. and and I've always found that just a fascinating thing. It's almost a, sort of a nature versus nurture type of argument all thrown into that 
type of thing. Did you ever run into nature versus nurture that much? Did what what did you believe on that? Oh, it's it's always a combination of both. Yeah. There is yeah. there is absolutely no way that it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's this thing called I don't have to get too technical, but there's genetics and epigenetics. Mm-hmm. And epigenetics is okay, so genetics is how you're how you're built, how you're born, what color your eyes are. And it does have a factor into your personality, your likes, your interests, that kind of thing. Epigenetics is how the environment affects those gene expressions. Mm-hmm. And so if you're predisposed to have alcoholism, but you've never had a drink, you may still be technically an alcoholic, mm-hmm. but you haven't had that epigenetic um, expression because you've never had alcohol. It's it's always a combination of both. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's just always been a fascinating character for me. Is is his Gomer Pyle? I mean, it starts right off the beginning mm-hmm. when Arlie Ermey is calling him Gomer Pyle. You know, which is the, of course, the clown prince of Marines yeah. uh, and everything, and and. From then on, he's just a heavy guy. He, he can't do all these obstacles. There's there's really no care there that he came into this, probably got drafted since it's Vietnam, mm-hmm. and that, you know, he's not born hard. He's He's got to learn some things. He's got to lose weight. He's got to be able to, you know, have some time. But he doesn't have that kind of time and everything. And it's always a tra- it's one of the most tragic characters that you'll ever see oh, yeah. in a movie. Oh, yeah. I want to mention uh, Shop Girl. Ah, nice. With uh, Steve Martin, Claire Danes, and uh, the drummer from Phantom Planet, otherwise known as <laughs> Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman. Um, there's a point in this movie that the movie does not make a big deal out of Claire Danes' character having anxiety. Uh, but there is one moment after she's been sleeping with Steve Martin for a while, and he's super rich and lavishes all this stuff on her. She's so happy. You see her reach for her bottle, and then she decides not to. And then a few minutes later, she totally, not a few minutes in her life, but a few minutes later in the movie, the next day, she pays the price for going off her meds without notice, uh, and he has to take her to the hospital. Um, And one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up is because I have found that to be super accurate. I've been Mm -hmm. on anxiety medication for three and a half years uh twice i've i've stopped on purpose because i thought i was better and five or six times i've missed a couple because i went on a trip and forgot it or what have every single time i go right back to where i was in the beginning within two days which Mm -hmm. was for me chest pains i thought i was gonna have a heart attack in bed um i hope for that day where i might be able to go without medication but i think there are an awful lot of people with anxiety or depression or other mental issues who, who it's hard enough to get to the place where you're ready to ask for help. But once you're getting help, uh, and if it's medication or therapy, what have you, I think it's very tempting to think you're curable very quick. Mm-hmm. We don't want to feel like we're broken yeah, permanently. Um, but I have come to the conclusion that I would rather be broken permanently and live a normal life yeah. <laughs> than be unbroken and laying in bed every night thinking I'm having a heart attack. It's interesting <laughs> you bring up Claire Danes because one of the other things I was going to say that gets oh, it Homeland. right is in Homeland. Yeah. And yeah. there's a very, you know, the technical, she takes a drug called clozapine, which is extremely dangerous to go off of if you, but she, man, I know there's a lot of like Claire Danes crying memes and stuff like that out there, but she sells it, man. When oh, she yeah. goes in season one, when she goes off the rails, that looked, that looked right to me. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, she did an excellent job in just kind of getting that across. And it's not easy to do really without being too three theatrical, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's a, a maybe a more dissociative one uh, mm-hmm. that might not even qualify, but it's connected to New York. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie okay. Kaufman. I'm a big Charlie Kaufman fan. Even when he's making Schenectady, New York, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and so uh, I, I can't say I'm, I want to watch this movie again, but I can say that this is a good example of, of, of not a character that's going through some sort of mental illness, but but having the mental illness play a part as in the storytelling. Um, so it's never acknowledged, I don't think. Uh, no. It, it might be. Um, but through this entire thing, you know, the reality starts to bend a little bit and it gets darker and darker. And um, it, it's not a good example of the process of, of depression, but it is a good example of it's a good metaphor maybe mm-hmm. for it um, within a metaphor mm-hmm. inside of another metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen. Have you seen Schenectady? Uh, it's been a while. I saw it when it came out. Yeah, it's. I, I did not like it either. Yeah, and I, I like I, mean, I like Charlie Kaufman a lot too, but Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course, mm-hmm. is always great. Yeah, and I've never thought of it that way before. I just always thought of it as just you know Charlie Kaufman surrealist, movie, or, yeah, surrealist and everything. Mm-hmm. But when you put it into those terms, that's a, that's a really good way of looking at his character. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really thought about it that way though. Well, I'll fulfill at least one fan's request for us to talk about Breaking Bad on a podcast. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Bringing up Jesse Pinkman on this mental health discussion. Uh, there's a point in the show where he is forced to kill someone at the end of a season. And his behavior the following season, I'm really curious to know your input, Barrett, because it felt so authentic to me. Uh, he just... He goes into a dark, dark mm-hmm. place. He opens his house up to anyone who wants to come in. He's constantly cranking all this music, taking all these drugs, banging random women. Um, he just loses control completely. And it feels like that's what would happen to a poor guy who's never been more than a petty drug dealer yeah. after he just commits his first murder with a headshot yeah. of a guy that's basically innocent. Close up. Yep. Um so what do you what do you feel about the way they portrayed Jesse's? I guess that would be PTSD or t- depression or some combination of the two. What it is is it, he plays it perfectly because he can see the light go out in his eyes. Yeah, and it's it's really fascinating to see. And it, so there's that. It's interesting to play, but he's also got a breaking point. It's like uh, with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in, in Full Metal Jacket. And I was just watching Cool Hand Luke, and there's a point in Cool Hand Luke where he gets broken down. Even this this paragon of masculinity. Everybody's got a breaking point, yeah. and and how you uh, how that affects you uh, is is up to you, really. Uh, it could be with violence; you could react to it. It could be by just shutting down, and that's that's what Jesse Pinkman goes through, uh, and and kind of what uh, Paul Newman goes through for for a period of time. But uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes people withdraw. You hear it all the time, like. Uh, somebody gets into an argument or something like that, rather than like viciously lash out, they'll withdraw and they'll they'll internalize and then they'll think about it over and over again. And some people will just come out and guns blazing and just no pun intended and just be like, uh, you know, really lash out at people. So it all depends. Uh, but but his yeah really got so close to reality that it was almost jarring. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it almost makes you think someone on that staff knew something enough to either research it right or or already knew yeah. how to get it right. And the other thing about that is that it goes on forever it's the whole, through the whole, that, the whole season. He doesn't get better uh-huh. like, okay, well, now we're in the next week, and so he's back and going up to shenanigans with Walter White. Like, he's depressed the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's the frustrating part of, of being depressed is that you can't just, like, 
switch it off. Right. And no, no matter what the drugs are, what the therapy is, it's always a process. It's, it's not just it's not just him, like just what you see him going through with this party. And it's all the people that are at these parties and yeah. all that that just they're just the lowest yeah. of the low. Just scrape them off yeah. the sidewalk type yeah. people. Um, and, he, and, and there's something interesting also what he does with that little iRobot thing that goes around his, oh, uh, yeah. his apartment and the it's robot. cleaning. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's just like, you know, it's, it's doing a futile job. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's, there's something about that type of thing that, you know, sort of like, you know, lets you in on a little bit more of the, uh, yeah. the psyche of a character. Um, but that's a good one. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's just one of those heartbreaking things. His whole character generally is heartbreaking yeah. because he's as, at his happiest in the first season, and just to the lowest of the low. Even mm. though, even though he's got one last like high at the end, his high is still low. Well, I'm I'm glad he's free, but he's gonna have therapy for the rest of his yeah, life he's done at the end of that show he's right. done he is the between the girlfriend and several girlfriends well yeah but the, the yeah, one the that, one though well yeah <laughs> i guess you're right uh and then the whole cartel thing that would probably be traumatic to yeah. witness and uh just the poor guy he's he, he is the ultimate poor bastard yeah. uh, which is a discussion i hope we have again soon because i've come up with some new ones <laughs> yeah uh we you know we've obviously been talking a lot about lock the tom hardy movie oh, yeah. and everything another movie that i had heard about for a really long time is bronson mm. which i recently saw a couple of weeks ago um i don't know whether or not to call him crazy he definitely isn't normal in this movie but tom hardy plays a guy i don't know what his real name is but he likes calling himself charlie bronson based on a movie star of the 70s mm-hmm. and um and he loves going to prison he actually enjoys going to prison he enjoys the he enjoys the loneliness of prison mm. and all this other type of stuff but he also enjoys getting in fights like crazy and like there's like, several scenes in this where he's just um he kidnaps somebody at the prison and he knows that the guards are coming and he just strips down naked and like greases himself up and all this other type of stuff and he's just like come on waiting for it you know and all that there's a point where in bronson they actually do put him in a mental institution and and he actually he kills a guy i think in 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 that but he eventually like gets out for whatever reason i can't remember if it's like good behavior or something like that but um with you know which is odd if he's killed a guy or he's right. nearly killed a guy or whatever but um i don't know what i don't know they never and they never do label him in bronson we don't know what he is if he's got anything or if he's just an asshole you know, that's one of those things where he could just be a dick. I um, diagnose you as an asshole. Yeah, you don't have any real mental issues. You're just kind of an asshole. Yeah. Uh, um, Did you like it? Uh, it's oh man, it's a hard movie to get into. Yeah. It's an hour and a half. It's short, but it's a it's a Nicholas. I can't remember Nicholas Winding Refn, mm. whatever his last name is. You know, if it's Winding or Winding, I don't know. But he's the guy to Drive and Valhalla Rising and all that. Um, and it's kind of a slow kind of a movie and there's a lot of like intercut scenes of Hardy on stage in like clown makeup mm-hmm. and stuff like that, talking to an audience, oh, really? like narrating the story for you and all that and doing all these like little weird things and everything. Kind of a sociopathic uh, approach to, to not, not just in violence for violence sake, but violence 
to as a performance yeah you know, as like a performance to god i i don't know it's, yeah. it's really like he's he wants to leave an impression on the earth and that's and that's his you know that's where he wants to go down interesting yeah if you want to see a lot of tom hardy dick you can watch this movie <laughs> I would recommend it. You mean, Tom Hardy I was even just more thinking. Tom Hardy. Dick. Yeah, even more Tom Hardy. Dick. Yeah, and seeing him, uh, you know, uh, lather down and fight a whole bunch of dudes. I, you know, it's one of those things. You're really yeah, selling it, man. I might yeah. have to watch it this afternoon. I don't think I was trying to sell it, but uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. Well, I'm glad we talked about this. Uh, I think it's an interesting topic uh, as it pertains to movies. It's an interesting topic to get uh, different perspectives on. Well, and can we put something in the description just in case there's anybody out there listening yeah. that can't afford therapy or mm-hmm. what have you resources for help they can get online yep. or what have you yep um i get a lot of that on twitter whenever i talk about my anxiety people who tell me that they're, they're too far away from a therapist or they, they can't afford one or insurance won't cover it and there are free resources some of them even local if you live in a city big enough you don't have to do it over the phone or the internet but uh let's put that in the description too yeah bottom line if you need help find help yeah all right, we're going on to the Q&A. Yes, indeed. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Again, a reminder that the questions are largely from our subreddit. Uh, go to reddit.com slash r slash cinemasins. Got that right for the first time ever. And uh, also hit us up on Twitter uh, at cinemasins and SoundCloud. The first one here is is, and they presuppose a lot here, aside from Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> who is the best athlete turned actor? Uh, Jeremy, what do you think? Okay, well, um, I do want to mention I really thought John Cena was funny in Trainwreck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he has uh, enough track record to call him the best. Uh, but researching for the show, uh, this podcast, I found out that uh, Jason Lee used to be a professional skateboarder. Yeah, yeah. Not just a guy in empty pools or at the park wanting to be a skateboarder <laughs> like Bieber. Uh, he was a pro. <laughs> he made money from skateboarding, and he's a quality actor. Yeah, absolutely. Very funny all through My Name is Earl. I love him in Almost Famous. He's been in plenty of forgettable stuff, but uh, I'm throwing him out. Oh, that's a good pick. Chasing Amy, he was really great. Yeah, he was great chasing Amy. Laurent? Yeah, I'm glad I get to go next so I get to pick the easy one. Yeah. You know, Uh, I think Schwarzenegger. I think, I mean, in terms of being iconic, Mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, I I don't know if I want to put him next to any other actor in terms of uh, just raw acting. He had a movie in 96 called Eraser where he kills an alligator Uh. and says, your luggage. Yeah. I take it back then. I take it back. He is a great actor. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> this Schwarzenegger is almost kind of how Keanu Reeves is, right? Like, if you put him in the right thing, Ooh, he, he he's great. Mm-hmm. And Schwarzenegger, the thing about him is, you know, he started off, I mean, he probably was in a good, he was like a good amount of movies before The Terminator. Yeah. And a lot of like a lot of those early ones, they had to dub in <laughs> voiceover and like Hercules in New York and all yeah. that. Um, but I, th- I think he became very aware of who he was, sure. and he made himself a star out of it. And he and it's ab- absolutely genius. And I think he. I mean, we would be remiss not to talk about Schwarzenegger in this discussion, even You're though welcome. even though the sport is bodybuilding. <laughs> what kind of sport is that? Yeah. Not a real one. Um, but no, uh, I think uh, I think he is a, a, a good one. Um, uh, I've, I've I've wrote down three. I'll I'm going to say Terry Crews, who was a former nice. NFL oh, yeah. player. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Terry Crews is in most mostly comedies, and he's hilarious in almost all of them. Um, but uh, Terry Crews uh, is probably the best thing about white chicks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is not a good movie at all it's a terrible movie in fact but they're he gonna, but gonna he's switched the phrase of thinnest kid at fat camp to best thing about white yeah chicks. exactly <laughs> um he he he's he's obviously great also in idiocracy if you've seen idiocracy oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and in on uh and on this uh brooklyn 99 he's great mm-hmm. on that too he's a funny dude and of course the old spice commercials yeah you know and everything this guy's got like just all these rippling muscles and you don't think of a guy like that as somebody who's gonna be like oh that's guy that guy's gonna be hilarious right. you don't think of that dude's got amazing timing and he's just he's just a funny dude awesome i'm gonna flip this on its head and tell you who not to watch in movies and that's howie long oh yeah howie long is one of the worst actors i've ever seen had a movie come out in 1996 called broken arrow yeah and he was hideous in it then had uh fire firestorm Storm. firestorm firestorm yeah, come out a few shit. years later and uh he's horrible in that too i'm sure he's a wonderful person and <laughs> has kids that could beat the crap out of me but uh he's a terrible actor who was that football player bosworth yeah stone cold brian bosworth is stone cold <laughs> <laughs> all right next question what are the best movie monsters? Okay, so I, I'm giving two answers because I wasn't sure how serious to take this. Uh, the first one is the Abominable Snowman in the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer nice. uh, holiday short because that scared the bejesus out of me when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Like, I literally had to stop watching the show whenever that guy showed up. I don't think he's the best or all that scary now that I'm, like, 41, but <laughs> the six-year-old me... Uh, I had nightmares about yeah, that fucking yeah. thing. Uh, but my favorite monster then I'm going to choose is the Balrog from um, mm-hmm. Two Towers. Lord yeah. of the Rings. Uh, I guess he's in Fellowship too. Because uh, you really get a sense of how outmatched Gandalf could be here uh, with this thing. Uh, because of its size and it's still mysterious to us, we don't exactly know. Is it a monster? Is it a demon? Does it have superpowers? I don't know. Uh, but really, I'm saying this just for that one glorious long distance shot of them falling yeah. slowly into the water, which yeah. is still one of my favorite shots of any film. Yeah. yeah, that's a monster that you actually sort of wish that you could see more of later on, yeah. but it might ruin the effect. Right, right, so exactly. it's one of those Catch-22 kind of monsters. Do you have one? Not not especially. I've never, you know, I've never been a big uh, movie monster guy, so my answer uh, officially will be... Um, Booster from Jingle All the Way. (laughs) (laughs) We are filling our lifelong quota of Jingle All the Way references in one afternoon uh, with Laurent. Kind of Schwarzenegger. I didn't really even... I I missed an opportunity. That's that's true. It's called Synergy. There you go. Um, I'm going to say... I've got a I've got a bunch of classic movie monsters down here, but I'm going to go ahead and go with the thing in the thing. Yeah, yeah. nice. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything more terrifying to me than being able to look human and act human and basically not ever give away that you're a different person at all. Uh, That's what's scary to me in the thing. Like, like in invasion of the body snatchers and stuff like that, where there's, you know, there's, there are, there are among us and all that. There's always some sort of like, kind of like giveaway to it and everything. Whereas in the thing, they really have to go deep to try to figure out if you know what this thing is uh, or who is the thing in this and of course the brian bosworth is (laughs) the thing thing. um but uh but yeah like 
I the the deaths in that movie are just all horrific. They just, are. They're all the worst ways to die possible, and everything. And then and it's all because of this thing that's going around <laughs> and and being human beings and everything. But I, I yeah, that's that's my my favorite Good answer. Nice. I got one that falls apart at the end, but is really effective up until then. It's a Cloverfield monster. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. I I loved how just glimpses of it yeah uh were, were there similar to the 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 alien and alien yeah um just the glimpses of it were, were pretty terrifying until you got the uh, you know the the frontal look of it and uh that wasn't all that great but up until then it was awesome yeah no i agree yeah bring high, it home high, baby high fives all around <laughs> high fives <laughs> All right, that'll be the syncast for this week. I thank Laurent for coming yeah, in, you. offering his his insights into Jingle All the Way, and uh, <laughs> that's fair. That's, that's fair. That is fair. If there's anything I want to leave this podcast with, it's yeah. that I want to see a Milos Forman version of Jingle All the Way. Yes, because those are the things we talked about the most today. Absolutely. But uh, continue going to SoundCloud and sounding off, telling us what you think and uh, stuff and things and whatnot. Um, anyway, it's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott, LaRange and Barrett. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. He's yeah. never played anything but a bad guy, though, has he? I don't think so. Can you think Not of a Rutger Hauer good guy role? I'm I'm sure I if I thought hard enough, I could find I could find one where he wasn't a you know a bad guy. But I mean, the other day was uh, Batman Begins. I was uh, he's bad guy in there too. Even yeah. though he's not really like he's not like a real bad guy, but he's. He's business bad guy. He's business. Bad. Oh, he's yeah. that prototypical. I want to make more money, so I'm evil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Evil. Like the fruits of the devil. <laughs> so is Hobo with the shotgun. Now he's the hobo. Um, there's some other movie that Danny Trejo was in, it's and based I'm gonna, on a true story. That that it might be like one of those, like you know, asshole on a bus or something. <laughs> like that. I want to see that movie. <laughs> you know, one of those. I can't find. I can't find the asshole on the bus movie, but. He's, he's, it's one of those. I don't want you to. I want to believe it's called Asshole on a Bus <laughs> yeah. and it's out there somewhere. Poseidon was a point where the reel changed and it was upside down. Now, at first you're like, well, the, the ship, the ship is upside down. So everything's upside down in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But he actually did put the reel on upside down. So it was, everything was right side up <laughs> and it was just like, because you could tell because of just the way the sound was. Cause yeah. it was just, that's the, uh, that's the telltale sign because what the sound's going through, sounds like, on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, almost as many people as there were on the opening night of my smash holiday movie, classic jingle all the way. <laughs> And he knows that the guards are coming, and he just strips down naked and, like, greases himself up. And Lunch, Lady Doris. Have you got any grease? Yes. Yes, we do. Then grease me up, woman. Okie dokie.